Thinner Logs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy grounded in shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Hi everybody, my name is Eric Garneau, and this is part one of the Nerdlogs Presents Your Stories December 2014 podcast, featuring the theme Apocalypse. We are super stoked to welcome guests from chiptune rock band I Fight Dragons and post-apocalyptic podcast Our Fair City to share the stage this month. Uh, now you see where the theme comes in, and we got some great, great stories out of it. We also welcome my friend Jim Snedeker from Blackened, the premier Metallica tribute band, to fill in on guitar with Dwight and Claire, since sadly I had to miss the live recording of this episode. Uh, Jim did amazingly, though. It is super, super cool, and I was stoked to have him there. Uh, this time out, enjoy stories from our Fair City founder, Clayton Fates, actress Elle Madeline, uh, and marketing director Ryan Bond, plus iFi Dragon's lead singer, Game Boy programmer Brian Mazzaferi, and friend of the Nerdalogs, Sarah Schieber. Uh... Well, folks, it's the end of the year as we know it, and I feel fine. Uh, that also means it's time for all sorts of retrospective navel-gazing. The fun kind, of course. For starters, we're putting together our Best of 2014 Your Stories podcast, which you can help us do by nominating some of your favorite stories and songs from the past 12 months. The nomination form is linked to on our Facebook page, as well as the posts on our website containing this very episode. So hey, if you got this off our website, that's where the form is, too. Uh, tell us why you like some stuff, and we might ask you to say nice things about that stuff on the podcast. It's a super fun time that makes people feel really good about their contributions, so help us out with that if you can. Uh, also, our last live episode of the year is coming up this Sunday, December 7th, 7 p.m. at the Public House Theater. We know it's a little earlier than usual, but we figured the holidays might create a bit too much noise if we went on the regular date, so there you go. Uh, the theme, as usual for us in December, is annual number three, because, hey, uh, it's also the podcast's third birthday, which is super cool. Uh, so come share whatever that makes you think of. Uh, we've invited back a number of your favorite storytellers from the past year to round out the episode, so it's going to be a really great time. And Jim is coming back, too. Uh, if you've got some free time Sunday, you can come by an hour early to see another podcast recording where our great friend Kevin Budnick will interview a fella about comics. Uh, it's going to be a really good time. Otherwise, just keep checking our Facebook page and website for more videos and podcasts. We have tons of stuff coming every week. Uh, and thanks, as always, for all your support. We hope to see you soon. Uh, otherwise, let's get it going. Dwight Hassel and Claire Freeman! Yeah. Uh, so we have... Uh, we have a, as you can see, Eric is not with us right now. Our good friend. He is in Jersey. Uh, <laughs> at a um, wedding for a friend. No, it's for Magic. Magic the Gathering. It is? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> His friend named Magic the Gathering. Um, he couldn't be here tonight, but he wanted to, uh, us, he wrote this intro for our uh, guest that we're, that's going to be playing with us tonight. So he said, this next gentleman coming to the stage is pretty much the most amazing musician I've ever had the pleasure of performing with. He's definitely the best guitar player I've ever known. We've been friends since high school, and we recorded a demo for a talent show and called ourselves the Five Horsemen. Uh, there were two of us. Uh, that demo included recordings of Metallica's Fade to Black and the Eagles' 
uh, Hotel California. It, it was pretty baller. Uh, since those inglorious beginnings, this fellow has gone on to play lead guitar in the United States uh, premier Metallica cover band, uh, Blackened, a group that regularly kicks ass all around Chicago and other places. Uh, he also just had his second son, and uh, yeah. and he's a fantastic person to boot. Everyone, please welcome Jin Snedeker. Jim's going to be playing uh, guitar for us tonight. It's useful because you look just like Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. It looks exactly That's like Eric. One of our great people you know what Eric looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so we uh, usually like to start off the the night with uh, so the theme tonight is apocalypse. Apocalypse. And we'll be we have a, a special guest, Art Fair City, and I fight dragons in the house. Uh, we like to start it off with a couple of songs that are themed to the to the theme here. <laughs> uh, this first one is a uh, why is this one? Why did you? Why is this one in here? I, oh, I, why don't you explain it? <laughs> yeah, why don't you? Uh, this first one. You know, has one of the um, most 2003 music videos you'll ever see. <laughs> and uh, I encourage you, if you have not watched it recently, please go back and do. Because um, I think that maybe that video really capped the end of an era. Um, and if you have some extra time, go ahead and read the comments. Because they range from everything from... This is so much better than anything that Rihanna, Lady Gaga, etc. have put out. Two, this reminds me of League of Legends. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, we're going to sing Britney Spears' Toxic, which I'm sure you picked up from the context of League of Legends. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you see? I'm calling a guy like you to wear a woman. It's dangerous. I'm falling. There's no escape. I can't wait. I need a hit. Baby, get me in. You're dangerous. I'm loving it. Six, five. 
portion of our night. The reason you're all here. Uh, we're going to be starting off with uh, the creative director from our fair city, Mr. Clayton Pate. Oh, and to be in Eric for the night, if you uh, are going to sit or stand, let us adjust the microphone. So it oh yeah, don't touch it. It makes it weird noises. It does make weird noises. <laughs> it just makes everything hard. You can use the stand. I'll just, I'll just stand, stand near it. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Um, I didn't know I was leading off. This is a little bit of pressure. It'll be all right. Supportive environment and all. Um, so let me talk a little bit about Our Fair City before we start. Our Fair City is a post-apocalyptic, subversive audio drama we release on the internet. You can find us at OurFairCity.com. You can subscribe to our podcast. And relevant to the timing of this show, on January 17th, which is a Saturday night, we're having a party to launch our sixth season. We've been doing this for a little while now. And there's two good reasons to come. One is that it's a terrific show and you should all be fans of it. But the other is that it's a really bitchin' party. <laughs> we take a space, we do environmental design, we do immersive food and beverage. So it's a whole experience that you can enjoy, whether or not you're a fan. It's going to be in the Flatiron Arts Building in Collaborations, Room 300, January 17th. Mark your calendars. So that's my shameless plug. The story I want to tell today... <laughs> is about a friend of mine from college. You know, you think of an apocalypse, you think it affects everybody. You think it's the end of the whole world for all people and creatures. But it's not. Really, you know, if the human apocalypse comes, if there's a nuclear war, the cockroaches are going to be like, yes, you know? <laughs> Sweet. So, you know, apocalypses all affect a narrow segment. It's just a question of what your perspective is. So I want to put you all in the perspective of my friend from when I was in school. His name was Yosarian, and he was my betta fish who sat on my desk. <laughs> In my dorm. So I got this beta fish and we named him Yosarian, and the game was you had to give him his full honorific title. But every time it changed, so he might be Yosarian, Lord of the Roynar, and King of the First Men, he might be His Excellency Pope Yosarian III, but you can try, you know, never to repeat uh, a title. So I left one morning, and His Grace was swimming happily in his little tank where he sat on my dorm. And I was a freshman, so I was dumb enough to have an 8 a.m. class. So I trucked out the door, bleary-eyed, that early in the morning. I went to college in New Orleans. You know who's up in New Orleans at like 7.45 a.m.? It's college freshmen, and that's it, because they're the only ones who haven't figured it out. But I left, and, you know, I had a full day of classes. So I come back to my dorm room six hours later, and I'm ready to have my lunch. And I sit down with my sandwich, and I punch up an episode of South Park on my computer, and I look... And the general is missing from his tank. 
it's it's empty. So I'm sitting there staring at this, and I'm I'm panicking, right? I'm responsible for the life of this creature. I'm barely taking care of myself. I'm 18 years old, and I'm thinking like, oh, I fucked it up. Like, how did I kill a betta fish? <laughs> so I start looking. I put on my best Sherlock Holmes hat, you know, and I start sleuthing around. I'm thinking, well, if he if he's not in the tank, he must have jumped out. And I'm looking for splashes of water, and I'm looking around on the floor, and I'm feeling the carpet to see if there are any damp spots, you know, that aren't urine-related. <laughs> New Orleans. And I'm even, you know, the drawers have this little cutout where you pull them open. I'm searching in the drawers in case he somehow managed to flop himself inside. And he's nowhere to be found. There's no water. There's no fish. I call my friend Dave. I pull him out of class. I get him over to help me search on hands and knees for this beta fish in a dorm room that is like five by ten, you know? And then I look and I see that my window is open. <laughs> so I have this epiphany. I go, it's not that he's gone. There's no water on the ground. He can't have splashed out of the tank. It's fish nappers. Right? I figure someone has taken this fish and absconded with him. So I'm not like, I'm not calm, but I figure I've done all I can. I've searched for my fish. I've brought my friend in. I've, you know, it's, it's, that's it. The fish is where he is, and I'm really hoping that somebody's pranking me and they're going to bring him back to me. Um, you know, because the colonel, like, is a good friend of mine. I, I don't want to do that. And I'm sitting there watching my South Park, and I'm finally settling down to eat my sandwich when I hear some crinkling plastic over in the corner of the room. And I, I, it's okay, it's probably the breeze from the window. And it happens again. And I go and I look, and this is this is where I finally found him. Um, <laughs> I had one of those like twelve packs of paper towels, you know, wrapped in plastic. And I looked inside, but he wasn't on the bottom. Yosarian the third had crawled his way with his slimy, dried-out body up the side of the plastic, and had wedged himself between the paper towels and the top. <laughs> and he's moving. He's not dead. So I say, Duchess, no. <laughs> and I peel him off the top and I drop him in the tank and I put him on my desk and I'm staring at him and he's brown. You know, he's bright blue normally. He's brown. You can see right through him. You can see all of his organs. And I watch as he unsticks a fin and the chairman kind of wobbles it around a little bit. Works anyway, right? And then he unsticks the other one and he starts to wiggle. And I gave him a little bit of food and he starts nibbling at it. And eventually he, he recovered. I got him a giant brandy snifter to spend his days in where the walls, you know, he couldn't <laughs> leap out. But I tried to imagine what this was like from his perspective. You know, if you don't know a lot and you're this tiny little fish in a place far from where you should be, you know, by nature, and you jump out one day and you've experienced freedom, you know, and these are little puddle dwellers. They're supposed to hop from puddle to puddle. So he thinks he's got somewhere to go. He's flopping across this carpet and he sticks to plastic and he wedges himself into something dry and abrasive and he's sitting there thinking, well, you know, to whatever extent a beta fish has the capacity for abstract thought, this is the end. (laughs) (laughs) And then out of nowhere, some giant hand scrapes you back up and drops you back in. And his response to this truly apocalyptic experience was to shake one fin out and then shake the other fin out and go on with his day. And that is a badass motherfucker. (laughs) That's my story tonight. to the other wonderful guest we have tonight so please much like Clayton did uh, and thank you for that introduce uh, Our Fair City which is a wonderful group of people and a wonderful show that you should all listen to uh, the next guest we have is Brian Mazzaferi from I Fight Dragons please correct me if I pronounced your name wrong <laughs> that's it 
I have a manila folder with the printed story, so it will not be as animated. But I will raise up the stand. Hey, guys. Um, that was awesome. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I Fight Dragons. We are a uh, chiptune rock band uh, of sorts, uh, Chicago-based. We've been around about five years, play around the city. We got we did a Kickstarter last year for our latest album. We were on a major label, got off of that, did the theme song for the Goldbergs. That's kind of a... Woo! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> that guy likes network TV. <laughs> it's only one of you in here. Dang it. <laughs> um, me too. Actually, I, I really I really love the show. Uh, and the, actually, it happened because Adam Goldberg the creator of the show, was a Kickstarter backer of ours, so you just, you never know how things are going to happen. Um, speaking of which, when we were asked to, uh, you know, to be, to be a guest here, I, I tried to think of what uh, story summed up Apocalypse from my point of view. Um, and the, this, actually, I was, I was talking with Bill, another one of our uh, band members who we'll, you'll hear from later in the night, and uh, I hadn't told him what I was going to tell a story about, but as soon as we walked in today, I was like, Hey, what are you going to... And I told him what I was going to tell a story about, and he was like, yeah, I was pretty sure that's where you were going. Um, So anyway, uh, it all started when I Fight Dragons was looking for our first touring vehicle. We were down in rural Illinois, and we were checking out a 1979 Argosy Airstream RV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a beautiful RV with aftermarket hardwood flooring, 70s style captain's chairs, and a full kitchenette. Its sleek curves and trademark Airstream contours made us feel like we were buying some sort of bullet shaped superhero team vehicle, like the X Men's Blackbird or the Avengers Quinjet, designed to blast us across the country on our first national tour, which was, after all, only a few months away at the time. It also had horse-themed curtains, blankets, and upholstery. <laughs> Since its current owners primarily used it to travel to and from horse shows. But, uh, but ultimately, that was not a driving factor in our purchasing decision. Uh, now, for those of you who might not be in a band, I want to take a, a tiny detour here and let you in on a piece of wisdom passed down from band to band since time immemorial. And uh, that piece of wisdom is this. Never buy an RV. <laughs> They sound like a good idea at the time. You think you can save money on hotels, cook all your own meals, but it always ends in disaster. (laughs) So thankfully, I was already well aware of this particular bit of wisdom at the time. Uh, But I really wanted to own the iFight Dragon's equivalent of a turtle van. (laughs) So we slapped down several thousand dollars and purchased a 1979 Argosy Airstream RV, which we immediately dubbed the Dragon Wagon. Uh, That fall, we were booked to go on our first national tour, opening for MC Chris. Uh, But several weeks before that, we had booked a gig playing Dragon Con in Atlanta. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And we thought we'd use the opportunity to take the Dragon Wagon uh, on its maiden voyage and document the whole thing in a series of live vid blogs uploaded directly to YouTube from Bill's new iPhone 3GS which was pretty cutting-edge technology at the time, uh, in contrast to everything else having to do in any way with our 1979 Argosy Airstream RV. <laughs> the, uh, the journey started off well, with the small caveat that none of the electrical outlets worked in the RV. 
<laughs> uh, well, but but after a brief two-hour hiatus at Pet Boys, we were back on the road uh, with no electricity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next the next seven hours of driving went pretty smoothly, or uh, as smoothly as they could go, considering we were riding in a 1979 <laughs> Argosy Airstream RV, which likely still had the original shocks. Uh, <laughs> then. Just outside Murfreesboro, Tennessee, well past midnight, the lights began to flicker. Uh, It was just barely noticeable at first, just a slight dimming that soon returned to normal. Uh, Then, then the dimming started becoming more frequent, the lights not quite recovering to normal, and, uh, and within 10 minutes, we found ourselves trapped in front of a Tennessee hotel with the RV refusing to start and bubbling engine coolant all over the parking lot. The night desk attendant uh, at the hotel wasn't super happy with the broken RV blocking down his or blocking his entrance, but I think he either took pity on us or uh, looked directly into my eyes and saw just how close I was to a complete psychotic break in which he was guaranteed to be the first victim, uh, and he found us a room, uh, despite there being none officially available. So my bandmates were soon uh, fast asleep, but I... I don't remember being able to close my eyes once the entire night. Uh, it felt felt like the end of the world. Not only was our RV, new shiny RV, new old shiny RV, uh, broken down in the middle of Tennessee on Labor Day weekend. Did, did I mention it was Labor Day weekend? Uh, not only did we have a show we had to get to in Atlanta with a trailer full of gear and no way to get there, uh, to top it all off, we were supposed to leave on a national tour, our first national tour, uh, in just a few weeks. And we had pulled all of our money together and spent it on my vision of our superhero jet. <laughs> Currently bubbling engine coolant all over the hotel parking lot in the middle of Tennessee. This was on me. Uh, I, I had stepped up and said, follow me. And uh, miraculously they had... And I had blown it. Big time. I I remember pacing up and down the hotel hallways all night. uh, Too tired to think clearly, but too restless to lie down. But, uh, you know what? It wasn't the end of the world. Sun came up, and I called every repair shop in a 50-mile radius until I found the one company with a big enough tow truck willing to come tow our RV to their lot and work on it on Labor Day weekend. Uh, I called every car rental place in a hundred mile radius till I finally found one, the one company that would rent us a van and let us tow our trailer. And we drove that rented van the rest of the way to Atlanta and uh, even made it there in time to spend a full day enjoying Dragon Con and playing the show that night. Chad, uh, the drummer, and I stayed behind an extra day in Murfreesboro on the way back uh, to wait for the RV to be fixed while we sent everyone else home in a one-way SUV rental. And and later on, I was even able to sell the RV to someone with far less ambitious plans for it. <laughs> so, so I hadn't lost all the money, just uh, just a pretty big chunk of it. <laughs> and uh, and with our manager's help, we found a vehicle to rent for that fall that was actually designed for touring, which uh, we of course dubbed the Dragon Wagon 2.0. <laughs> Uh, now, five years later, iFi Dragons has done tours in everything from a 15-passenger van to a full-on tour bus, and and we've gotten in some pretty hairy spots over the course of those collective 70,000 or so miles. 
But uh, but every time something crazy happens, as it seems to with surprising regularity, uh, I find myself flashing back to that night in the middle of Tennessee when I thought that the world was ending. And I remember that it didn't end. I picked myself up and I just kept working my ass off and doing the best I could with whatever crazy situation that I had gotten us all into. And and I remember something Chad said to me while he and I were walking down the side of a Murfreesboro highway from the cheapest hotel we could find to the sketchiest vehicle repair lot I have ever had the privilege of encountering (laughs) before or since. Uh, Cheer up, dude, he told me. We're going on a damn national tour this fall. This is our dream. We're living it. Plus, as crazy as this all seems now, I bet one day this is going to make an awesome story. Uh, I should have uh, said earlier on when we wrap Ryan up that he, uh, I have him credited on here as lead vocals and Game Boy programmer of <laughs> iFi Dragons. <laughs> Credit where credit is due. Um, so next up, we have a friend of ours who uh, comes to your store, has been coming to your stores for several years, and we're always happy to see her, Sarah Schieber. Hello, everyone. I think we can all agree that last winter was pretty rough. I mean, more than that, it was a snowpocalypse mageddon of icy doom, punishing wind, and general wintry terribleness. And when spring finally arrived, late, (laughs) I felt like I needed to walk on eggshells and just tiptoe around when I went outside, because I was afraid I would scare it away. Um... It's difficult to find a bright spot when I think about last winter, but I've been hearing that this winter is supposed to be somewhat similar. So I decided to think really hard so I would have something to hold on to as I'm kind of preparing to face down the uh, driving snow ahead. And I thought back to um, this one particular moment, so I'm going to paint the scene for you. It's February 2nd. 2014. The Super Bowl has just ended, and I am on my way home after dropping my friend off at Union Station, because I'm a good friend, (laughs) and I drove her all the way down, and I'm on Lakeshore Drive, kind of like grooving to tunes, everything is great, and I start to hear this really weird noise, and I'm just like, gee, the road is super loud, and so I turn up the music. (laughs) This noise continues. And I'm just like, okay. And you know the Oak Street... Well, people who drive in Chicago will know the Oak Street Curve is not exactly, like, the best place in the world to be having vehicular issues. Um, And so I managed to get out of the curve, and I start to smell this just, like, burning rubber stench. And this just rings is not okay. So I kind of get my car to limp over to one of those little emergency cutouts that you always see when you drive past them and think, wow, it would suck if I had to pull over there. (laughs) (laughs) And just kind of like pause for a minute and say, okay, so that's what a flat tire feels like. I get out to double check. It is just completely shredded. I drove on it a little too long. Um, 
I'm a little concerned about the smell that has not left my car. And so taking into account factors such as I have never changed a flat tire, I am on the edge of Lakeshore Drive, and it is so cold. I decide to call the company that comes and fixes the tire from Just Tires and stick myself in the passenger seat and tuck in to watch the West Wing until they arrive. (laughs) Um, Which was going to be after midnight. Great. About that time, I think it would have been a really good idea to use the bathroom before I left the Super Bowl party. (laughs) But it was too late. (laughs) So, just as the um, opening credits are starting to come up on my next episode on Netflix... I see these flashing lights in my rearview mirror, and I'm like, awesome! They're here so much earlier! That was great! And it's not them, it's just this random tow truck. And he's kind of getting out and being like, what's going on? Yeah, that tire is definitely flat. And he offers to pull me off uh, Lakeshore Drive to get down onto Fullerton. And I'm always... A little concerned about whether or not people that I meet in random situations might want to murder me. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm I didn't know that this is a thing that apparently tow trucks from the city just patrol Lakeshore Drive and make sure that if you're in the emergency cutout where it's unpleasant to be, you have a way to get out of the emergency cutout where it's unpleasant to be. And so eventually he convinces me with um you're on the edge of Lakeshore Drive. They're going to hit you. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm ushered onto the seat of this just big tow truck. Kind of makes me feel like I'm perched on the lap of an older relative as a child. And he's got some kind of soft, generic rock playing on the radio. And he gets out to hook up my poor, dilapidated car. And all of a sudden, I hear this just crunching, crazy loud noise. I didn't feel anything, but this noise just filled the entire cab, and I just kind of sit shocked for a minute, and I'm like, he's still outside, I need to check on him. So I open the door, and he's rushing over to see if I'm okay. This guy was really nice. (laughs) And um, I I look out the windshield and see this sports car just kind of like spinning. It bounces off of the edge of Lakeshore the railing on the edge of Lakeshore Drive and then kind of goes back into the middle and then keeps on driving, leaving, like, little crunched-up bits of sports car in the And so he goes around and checks the front of the truck. He has a flat tire now. (laughs) (laughs) He needs to call the tow truck that the city keeps that's big enough to tow the tow truck. (laughs) Not unlike finding the one repair shop that will tow an RV. (laughs) So we're going to be there a while. I had called my dad when I first got the flat just to check and make sure everything was on par with um, the warranty for them coming to fix the tire. And my dad, being the dad that he is, decided he was going to drive out to check on me. So he's still on his way. And during this time, I don't know, an ambulance comes by, asks if I want to go to the hospital. I said, no, apparently these trucks are built like tanks. I'm fine. Um, The fire department rolled by, uh, 
several other tow trucks came by. <laughs> um, one one guy stayed and just kind of hung out for a while. And I have this thing where I just can't quite sit still when just interesting stuff is going on. So I keep getting out of the tow truck and kind of wandering around because now there is a whole area set off with flares that's just very safe to roam around on Lakeshore Drive. <laughs> and my my guy keeps saying, it's really cold out here. Go back in the truck. <laughs> so after a while, there's all these flashing lights there, cop cars giving statements. Um, and... It, my guy and the other tow truck driver who decided to come and hang out are like, you know what? We're going to change your tire for you because we're going to be here forever. <laughs> and I'm just, I said, this is so nice. Thank you so much. And they just kind of shrugged and were like, no problem. They changed my tire. I realized my dad is coming, so I call him so he won't freak out when he sees a bunch of flashing lights where I said I would be. <laughs> he gets there just as they finish um, changing the tire and I go on my way. Um, just as I'm pulling in at home, I get a call from the Just Tires tow truck saying they were going to be on their way soon. <laughs> so I said, never mind. And um, after everything that could have possibly gone wrong, I found myself at home, uh, tucked in, pretty much right around at midnight, safe and sound. And... What I have to say from that is this. It's easy to grumble and hucker down and growl and scowl under the pounding that Chicago likes to give you during the winter. But even when one person simply smiles and shrugs in response to someone else's need for help, it makes all the difference. Thank you. All right, up next we have uh, an actress for my, uh, I'm assuming for Our Fair City. Um, and again, please, for Christ's sakes, correct me if I pronounce your name wrong. Uh, Ella Madelon. Hi. Um, hello. I'm happy to be here because I love apocalyptic story time, storylines. I always have. Um, and they're a lot easier to find these days, but that usually just means there's more crap to sift through before you find the ones that are really worth absorbing because we all know for every Snowpiercer, yes, there are like three 2012s, specifically 2012, The Day After Tomorrow and The Core. And what I like about like the end of the civilization or one in crisis is it shows us it, like it encourages us to examine the absolute minimum of what we need to maintain a civilization or rebuild it. It allows us all to play like armchair anthropologists and kind of pinpoint what the weaknesses in our own societies could be and kind of uh, like just check our balances that way. It's like why it's so much easier to know where the Tetris piece should fall when it's your big sister playing instead of when it's you. So I always like to look at what's going on in the news as well and see just how interestingly they could go wildly wrong. So there were a couple of things I was thinking about talking about today. Like we could talk about the, um, the university in, let's see. Um, Yes. The University of North Carolina technicians that have designed the cockroach cyborgs that are supposed to use their antenna to target survivors that are buried in the rubble 
when a tornado or an explosion hits a building and makes it fall. Or we could also talk about the Infinity Project with Jerry's uh, mushroom death suit. And if we don't do that, I just really hope that I Fight Dragons has a band called Mushroom Death Suit open for them someday. <laughs> but instead, I'm going to take you back to a snowy February morning in 2006. I was sitting on the brown line, uh, window seat, three quarters of the way through the book I was reading on my way to work, and it was a doozy. I'm not going to tell you the title, I'll just tell you the gist, because spoilers. But the hero, Henry, was a runner. And never mind how, but he had wound up in a snowdrift off the Chicago lakefront in the middle of the worst winter in a decade, stark naked. He was rescued-ish and taken to the hospital, but his feet succumbed to frostbite and had to be amputated. His friends and family are in the waiting room being oriented on how to help him through rehabilitation. And the paragraph ends, Henry awoke and started screaming. (laughs) I took a deep breath and steeled myself to continue reading, hoping to shake off that scene and, you know, work my way through the next couple of pages and end the chapter before I get to my office. But as I'm trying to continue reading, my vision's getting dark and I can feel myself getting sleepy. And I remember thinking to myself, maybe I can just sleep the rest of the way to my office. The next thing I know, the train has stopped, the blue and white light is flashing, the recording is saying we are being delayed due to a medical emergency, and everyone on my car is staring at me. Now, apparently what the people around me saw was a woman slumped down in her seat and then twitched for roughly 15 seconds before she sat up and opened her eyes again, very, very confused. I'm sure to me that would probably look like a seizure. And it did to all of the other neurosurgeons on my train car, especially the one behind me that said, You had a seizure! We called an ambulance! I didn't know. I was horribly embarrassed and apologized profusely and tearfully to everyone around me because I was sure I was now making them late for work. But still, if I did, you know, have a seizure, I should get this checked out. So the victim did not refuse medical treatment. The guy sitting next to me, the one who had the aisle seat and when I wanted to sit down, like just moved his knees so I had to shim by him to sit down myself actually ended up getting off the train with me and waiting with me until the ambulance picked me up at Armitage. Isn't that sweet? I never even knew his name. I've just always thought of him as my good enough Samaritan. (laughs) When I'm in the ambulance and the paramedics can see I'm stable and coherent, they ask if I have anyone I should call, and I, I think, of course, my parents. They're in New York and need to know what's going on. And they've always been bad about only calling me and telling me bad news once it has already been resolved, so I can't even offer emotional support. So this was a good way for me to teach by example. (laughs) Admittedly, that does not mean the best thing for me to do was as soon as my mother answered the phone to greet her with, I'm sorry, and burst into tears, but it had been a rough morning. And while I was raced to Northwestern Medical alone in this cold, scary, and I'll say it, apparently seizure-inducing city, I wanted my mommy. (laughs) Once I was admitted, the medical staff treated me like I was the answer to all of their quotas. I got an EKG, a CAT scan, blood work was done. I had to hand a sample of pee to a ridiculously attractive young doctor, which of course made it worse, and then wait. And while I waited, nursing my hospital-issued gill of orange juice and a packet of five animal crackers, they were liony. I thought about what could be the outcome for my myriad tests. 
What if the hot doctor returned with a rehabilitation specialist to talk to me about my first epileptic fit? What if I had a tumor? Or a brain cloud? <laughs> What if I didn't have something to live with, but something to die by? Should I start getting my affairs in order? Was I even old enough to have affairs? I certainly didn't have the savings to cash out and burn bright for another six to eight months. <laughs> Then I started thinking about four years earlier, when I rented the movie Requiem for a Dream. I watched it in my parents' bedroom, sitting on the floor, and at the end, spoiler alert, When Jared Leto's infected arm is turned necrotic and they have to amputate it. Next thing I knew, I was lying on the floor, the credits were rolling, and I was a little nauseated and didn't remember a lot. I mentioned this to the hot doctor when he returned, ready to assure me that all of my tests had come back negative for seizures and that I must have just fainted. That twitchy thing can happen, apparently. And he said, said it sounds like I've got an amputation phobia that, if I'm too emotionally involved, makes me reboot. <laughs> like I give the world a full body Nope <laughs> Now, learning this about myself Once I had received all the bills From the hospital and the ambulance company Came to $42,847.83 But I had insurance at the time Knocking it down to roughly $700 bucks. So it wasn't the end of the world. <laughs> like to take this moment to bring up that open enrollment for Obamacare <laughs> started again yesterday. So if you need that, you know, January 1st coverage, you need to get everything filed away by December 15th. Okay. <laughs> Next, uh, we have marketing director for uh, our fair city, Ryan Bond. All right, I guess I made the cut on this one. So when talking about apocalypses, end of the world, um, I'm one of the few people in our fair city that actually has children. So that's part of the reason why I'm up here. Uh, and congrats on your second. Um, when you're a parent, every day with a child can turn into an apocalypse. Everything can oh, go horribly wrong. I had a photo shoot this morning that we were going to do for holiday cards. Yesterday, my three-year-old, while stepping off the sidewalk, smashed his face into the ground and bruised and scratched it up. This morning, the three-year-old accidentally scratched the six-year-old's eye where he spent five hours in the hospital. We now have to rub ointment on his eye four times a day. So, but that's, that's not the worst of it. You know, like, you know, you go back and you have kids, you get poop explosions. You know, you're just out at the mall and the kid makes a face and it makes a sound and then out the diaper and out the everywhere it goes. And you just have to keep rolling with it. And that's kind of parenting. You just have to roll with it. And every day with a kid can turn into apocalypse. Whether it's my apocalypse or their apocalypse. Because they can't hold their shit together worth anything. Um, you know, they, they could go to throw something out and look in the garbage can and see a, a scribbly scrabble piece of paper that you threw out which had no meaning to them whatsoever suddenly mean everything. Yeah. So that's what you deal with. So my biggest kind of parental apocalypse aside of all of these moments, was when, uh, unfortunately, my father-in-law, his wife, passed away uh, due to an onset of cancer, which came and took her life very quickly in six months. We went out to visit him in small-town Minnesota, 
uh, last January, February time frame, uh, freezing cold, drove from here about 12 hours on icy roads to get out there, and he has been in the hospital with her for months and months and weeks taking care of her not taking care of himself. So we come up with this great idea of like, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of trick you to take care of yourself. You need a haircut. The funeral's coming up. You need to get an actual shave done. So we're going to say, the kids all need haircuts. So why don't we all go tomorrow and do that? And he thinks it's a great idea. So he's also been lonely in his bed and asks the five-year-old if he'll spend the night with him. Of course, you know, grandpa and the five-year-old have a loving, you know, cuddle snuggle through the night. We then the next day go off to the haircuttery place and the six or five year old sits down at that point and the, the haircutter turns around and says, uh, we can't cut his hair. Um, he's got lice. So all of a sudden my father-in-law who's been dealing with one trauma now has to realize I just slept in, in a bed all night with another child who has this. And then they look at my hair and my wife's hair and my other son's hair. Unfortunately, both kids have it. Um, so now we have to go back to the house and in the middle of being the house that we are hosting, of course, out of town people in, we had to deal with a delousing event while dealing with a funeral, um, on the course of this, which of course for my father-in-law, no fault on his own, it, it was like, could anything else go more horribly wrong? My wife, I am now burying her and I have lice. I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe you did this to me. We, we didn't know, you know, so we, every piece of furniture, the beds and everything, we eventually get the email, we notify the school, they do a quick scrub at there and they find that like 23 kids are all infected um, during the course of this. So by the time we get back home, my wife and I have now been infected, so all four of us are infected. We get a private specialist to come to our home, delouse our home, do our, do all our hair, I give up. I take most of mine off. And we were just on the edge of taking both uh, both my son and my other son's hair, taking it to the blade. But they had this brave heart, golden-haired locks at that point, and my wife still didn't want to do that. Thankfully, we recovered from that. The house was cleaned. The school recovered. They did bring in extra specialists to take care of that. Um, all in all... It ended up being all right, uh, as, as all things are. And with parenting, everything is an apocalypse every single day. So that's my story. <laughs> and this next song, uh, Jim, uh, any reason why you wanted to do this one? Um, well, because, you know, if it's an apocalypse, everything's ending, you know, it's, it's hard to say goodbye to yesterday. That's true. <laughs> That's a lyric in this song because everybody just got excited. Nope, we're singing the theme from MASH. <laughs> How do I say goodbye to what we had? The good times that is 
sunshine after the rain. It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.